Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 new September films in today's episode. What's this? What's this? The simply sensational standing ovation on Royal Dalton Music September was kind of a weird month. I I did end up watching 101 different films. And so, you know, I, I hit my own, you know, kind of personal quota in that regard. But almost half of them were Looney Tunes short films. So, uh, you know, the the numbers are a little imbalanced in that way. And as you'll see when I get to the top 10, uh, like... Five of them. Four of them are Looney Tunes short films, and five, one, two, three, four, five, six of them are short films in general. Uh, Beyond that, you know, a couple of new films making the list this month, and that's about it. Uh, It's a pretty straightforward list. It might be one of the fastest of these episodes I've ever done, and it's a relatively weak month, all things considered. Uh, you know, nothing broke 80 that I saw for the first time. Only one thing broke 80 that I saw in a rewatch, which was Moneyball. And a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff at the bottom of, uh, of the, of the list. Everything, you know, just as many films rated, yeah, more films rated below 10 than above 64, something like that. 62, rated above 62. So, yeah, it was a weak month. It was a weak month. So, let's get into it uh, right now with September's top 10 new films. Countdown 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, oh no! Number 10. From September, I saw it September 12th. Uh, it clocks in about 55 minutes long. It is from 2005. It is a documentary. My brief summary: an African fig tree and the animals that depend on it. I gave this film a 62. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Mark Diebel and Victoria Stone, starring the voice talents of Ian Holm as the documentary's narrator. And this is called. The Queen of Trees. I would be very surprised if anybody had heard of this before. I don't know if it ever aired on TV uh, or anything like that. I think I did find it on YouTube, so it is out there for all to find, all to see. <clears throat> I watched it because Ian Holm was born in September, and so he was one of the people. I think September, yes. And so for the September top 10 actors list, I, I watched some of his stuff that I hadn't seen. This was what, this one was very easily to find, easy to find, and uh, he gets credit for it. Uh, the Queen of Trees uh, is, you know, it's about this giant fig tree, a single fig tree, and we kind of just follow the various wildlife that interact with it, uh, whether they call it home, whether they, they hunt there, whether they live on it, uh, or, or so on and so forth. And as a nature documentary, you know, it's not 
outstanding, but it, it definitely shows, it finds this one little crevice of life in the world and does a really good job of showing the multitude of ways that, that things interact with this tree. Some eat the tree, some live in the tree, some, you know, use the tree to to birth their young, some, you know, there, there's so many different ways that these organisms become dependent on each other. And it forms its own kind of miniature ecosystem, uh, you know, within the greater forest around it. And again, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a simple thing. It's kind of a small thing, but the movie makes it seem enormous. And I mean, the tree is, is huge. You know, you have all of these different things happening on it and they're all, you know, very much separate from each other, despite at times having, at times having to depend on each other. Uh, you know, I think the, at various points throughout the film, they touch on elephants and giraffes, fruit bats, uh, a bunch of different bird species, lots of insects, fish, monkeys, you know, the, the reach of the tree is, is pretty, you know, it doesn't, I don't know if there's really a, a limitation on how many different creatures it, it interacts with. And it's, I don't know, it's it's a short watch, so, you know, you're not going to spend 10 hours on it, like, you know, like a planet Earth or anything like that. But it's it's pretty good. It's, it's interesting, it's inform, inf, uh, informational, it's educational, and... Um, you know, it gives you a greater respect and, and understanding of some of the smaller sort of, mm, what's, uh, there's a word I'm looking for and I don't know what it is, but it gives you a better idea of how things work on a smaller scale in, in some places. And I think that's worth checking out. Uh, as of right now, it has 17 logs on Letterboxd, so one, that means very few people are watching it, but that also means that if you watch it, you could be one of the very few people to have logged it, and you could influence, uh, influence it very significantly. So, The Queen of Trees, number 10. Number 9 is the first of our Looney Tunes short films. This one is... One I saw on September 24th. It is seven minutes long. It is from 1948. My summary, Sylvester and a kitten fight to be the cat adopted by Elmer, meaning FUD. Uh, I gave this a 62, no score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Frizz Freling, starring the voice talents of Mel Blanc, Mel Blanc uh, B. Benedorette, and Arthur Q. Bryan. And this is called Kit for Cat. And the summary is pretty much exactly what this is. Sylvester and an orange kitten are taken in by Elmer Fudd during a cold winter night. He wants to adopt both of them, but he's, for whatever reason, he can't because he's an awful person. And so he tells the cats that he can only pick one of them, but that he will decide in the morning which one it will be. And then ensues all the hijinks as... Sylvester, at first, tries to 
frame the kitten for doing all these bad things to get it so it, he doesn't pick that kitten to be adopted. And then when that doesn't work and the kitten turns everything around on Sylvester, uh, then it becomes about Sylvester trying to not cause any more damage so that he's the one kicked out. And it just kind of goes back and forth like most Looney Tunes short films. And what I like about this and why, why it kind of gets a little bit higher rating than just average is the ending. And I won't spoil it for a 70-year-old short film, but suffice to say, uh, the ending does not work out, really, for, for either Sylvester or the kitten. And I like that sort of uh, despair that, that seems to appear in a lot of Looney Tunes short films where it's like, it's either this or that, and eventually at the end, it's neither. And I think that's always an interesting direction to take, and they do it here, and I think to good effect. Uh, all these short films, I'm sure they can be found online in one form or another. Uh, it's... I don't know if they're you know, in, uh, what, what do you call it, where, where you can, you can just use that their footage for whatever you want, I don't, I don't think they're open source or whatever the, I don't think that's the right term, but I don't know, they're, they're available pretty much everywhere, so Kit for Cat, number nine, it's pretty, it's fun, a lot of them, they're mostly fun, but this one's good, Kit for Cat, number eight, we go back even further uh, to a film I saw September 22nd. It's 25 minutes long. It is from 1919. is the oldest film on this top 10 list. My summary, a playwright spends his last cent on the rent of a struggling actress. Uh, this I gave this a 63. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is, from, it is directed by Hal Roach, and it stars... Harold Lloyd, B.B. Daniels, Snub Pollard, among others. And this is Bumping Into Broadway. Uh, Harold Lloyd, I guess the lesser of the big three back in the early silent film era, uh, alongside uh, Charles Chaplin. And, man, I can never remember the third one's name. <sighs> Harold Lloyd... Charles Chaplin, and I can see his face. It's Buster Keaton. Um, Harold Lloyd often, despite the fact that I can never remember Buster Keaton's name, is often the lowest, considered the weakest of the three. Uh, not by everyone, uh, of, of course, but for me, I, I kind of concur with that. I've seen especially now with having seen some of Harold Lloyd's short films from the Criterion channel uh, streaming, he really does kind of, I don't know, he, he's so good at physical humor, but I think whether it's the, simply that his the team around him doesn't know how to craft a, a good narrative or story the way that Chaplin was able to do, or uh, the gags and stunts weren't quite as inventive as Buster Keaton was able to create, I think, you know, you end up with this weaker, a lot of weaker material. And, I mean, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of his earlier things, as opposed to some of the stuff, like, into the 20s, where, if I'm not mistaken, he, he does get better 
and he kind of figures out exactly what his short films should look like and should be presented as. But it does take him a while uh, to to find that niche. Uh, so bumping into Broadway, one of the ones I actually like from this time, as I mentioned, uh, Harold Lloyd plays a young playwright, and he is over. He is past due on his rent. There is a dancer, BB Daniels, living next door, who is also past due on rent. And instead of paying for his own rent, Lloyd goes and pays for hers. And this is a great, I don't know, it's a good setup. Uh, You know, I think the narrative is very flimsy. It's just that. And then it's, you know, the rest of the film is just him figuring out a way to actually pay for his own rent. Which involves a gambling club, which ends up being raided by the police. And uh, Lloyd and Daniels are, you know, hiding out from the police, which features some of the funniest gags in the film. Um... You know, he he has this one where I think, and I think he uses it too much in this particular short, but he's, it's not, it's like the third or fourth time I've seen him do it in a short film, which is putting on a coat, hanging the coat up, and then like acting like he's part of the hanging coat, if that makes sense. He's in the coat as it's hung up, and you can't tell that he's in there. Well, you can, but for film purposes, you can't. He does it a couple of times in this, and it's a good gag. It's it's clever. It, you know, of all the you know like hiding behind the window curtains, those sorts of things. Like, this is actually fairly convincing, but it does. I don't know. It, it does just. It drags a little. It is a little long. Twenty five minutes. Um, I think you know his sweet sweet spot is in like the mid teens range. And this one is a little bit longer. I think it's longer because they tried to incorporate a little more dialogue and plot into it. Which, on one hand, is is nice to have this sort of shell for the film to, to operate inside of. But it does slow things down. And I think Harold Lloyd is at his best when things are kinetic and constantly moving. Uh, but... Man, the police raid at the end is is a lot of fun, uh, particularly the final shot, um, not shot rather, but but the final like twenty seconds, I, I really thought was pretty funny, and yeah, uh, so far of all the Harold Lloyd shorts I've seen, this one has been uh, the best for me, and I think it's, I, I'm I'm, I think it's gonna hopefully. Uh, pretend more things to come, but um, it remains to be seen. I'm, I'm I'm excited to get into some of the more some of the mid twenties stuff that Harold Lloyd did because he's done some good things, and I you know I've I've seen good stuff from him. Like Safety Last is fantastic, but there there's a lot of lesser lesser films in his filmography than I think Keaton or Chaplin have. So, number eight is bumping into Broadway. Number seven is one I've talked about in a review episode before, so I won't spend too much time on it. I saw it September 12, 2019. It is 102 minutes long. It is from 2019. My summary, savvy former strippers band together against their clients. I gave it a 64. It has an 87% the last time I looked at Rotten Tomatoes. 
directed by Lorene Scafaria, starring Constance Wu, Jennifer Lopez, Julia Stiles, Kiki Palmer, Lily Reinhardt, Lizzo, Cardi B, Mercedes Rule, Trace Lissette, Usher, and others, is Hustlers. Uh, Jennifer Lopez is getting some supporting actress Oscar buzz for the film. I'm not, I don't really agree with that. I don't think, I mean, I'm not, she's not on my list for that, uh, for her performance, but it is very good. She's very good in it, and the film is a lot of fun. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you should, you should go see it. Or, you know, listen to my review episode. Hustlers, it's really good. Check it out. Uh, okay, so that puts us to number six, back to Looney Tunes. Uh, this one I saw September 18th. It is seven and a half minutes long. It's from 1949. My brief summary, a dog refuses to leave Porky's apartment. I gave it a 64. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. It's directed by Chuck Jones, and it stars the voice talents of Mel Blanc. And it's called Awful Orphan. So Porky, in this one, lives in a high-rise apartment building, and his, you know, quiet, serene life is rudely interrupted by a mutt. And, you know, it's not, a, you know, the mutt doesn't play a, isn't like a, it's Charlie Dog, who is one of the lesser Looney Tunes characters. But what's interesting about this, and again, I like these shorts that have these very, tragic endings uh but what i like about it is how the first two-thirds of the film are porky trying to get rid of the dog and then it somehow doesn't about face and it becomes about the dog trying to get rid of porky which is very strange and yet i don't know these shorts are able to kind of pull off those sort of ridiculous about faces because they're not really constrained by typical writing typical narrative typical plots in that way they're just whatever they think is the funniest thing they make that happen and because it's funny you give it a pass and it's easy to give a movie a pass when it's only seven minutes long and it does something obscene and ridiculous and it's like you know you might have for a second the thought of well how could that possibly have happened how what you know where does this come from where you know but you immediately you know immediately there's a new gag and a new circumstance and a new scenario and your mind just leaves that thought behind and awful orphan is one of the better examples of looney tunes being able to pull that off and and it's really quite quite fantastic in how abruptly um it's able to turn the story and and the situation on its head so Again, it's online. You can find it. It's very easy to do. And that is my number six. Awful Orphan. Awful Orphan. Okay, number five. Top half. Top half. This one I saw September 8th. It is seven minutes long. It is from 1950. It is another Looney Tunes short film. My summary, Daffy protects the outdoors from Porky's paint. I gave this a 64. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Robert McKimson and stars the voice talents of Mel Blanc. And this is 
Boobs in the Woods. So, uh, this is probably the one on the list that I remember the least. But, suffice to say, uh, Porky wants to paint landscapes. You know, he wants to set up his easel, set up his canvas, paint some picturesque views that he can see. Mountains, the rolling hills, the trees, lakes. And Daffy, a resident of the woods, claims that these things are his. And so what ensues are, you know, seven minutes of the two of them, you know, Porky trying to paint these things or subdue Daffy in order to paint these things and Daffy escaping and evading his grasp and going above and beyond and, you know, uh, you know over the moon to, to just uh, foil Porky at every turn possible. And this one is a lot more straightforward than the others it doesn't have a, a ridiculous turn at the end where everything is upside down it doesn't end with you know daffy painting porky's house or you know something like that but i don't know it, it just it, i think i really like robert mckimson's uh version of the looney tunes a lot i don't I, I think it doesn't have quite as high a ceiling but you know he's done a lot of the foghorn leghorn shorts you know, he has a different style of humor that I think, I, that I often uh, really appreciate in these short films. And while he's no Chuck Jones uh, or Frizz Freling, but I think every once in a while, McKimson's able to strike gold with his own, you know, approach to these characters and, and to their situations. And I think this is an interesting one. Uh, I like the combination of Porky and Daffy. Uh, you know, I think, you know, it just, uh, he gives Daffy this this far more psychotic depiction than a lot of the other people, a lot of the other writers and directors will give. And it really works um, with this this pairing. And I think McKimson does it maybe best of, of anyone. So, Boobs in the Woods, number five with a 64 for September. Number four, we get to another feature film, one I haven't talked about before. Uh, this one I also saw September 8th. It is 107 minutes long. It is from 2018. My summary, a young grandmother's daughter goes missing. I gave this a 66. It has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Jake Scott, uh, who is the son of Ridley Scott. It stars Sienna Miller, Christina Hendricks, Aaron Paul, Amy Madigan, Will Sasso, Macon Blair, Pat Healy, Sky Ferreira, among others. And that is American Woman. I think for a lot, of, it came out in 2018 as per like festivals and things like that. But I, but in the United States theatrically I don't think it was released here until June so for me 2018 but for others probably 2019 and you know it's got very little fanfare I don't think many people are aware that it exists but Sienna Miller is pretty exceptional uh, she plays the the grandmother uh, they live in a small town in Pennsylvania and she's raising her granddaughter 
after uh, her daughter disappears. And the film takes place over a pretty long period of time where she's trying to find her daughter and figure out what happened to her, figure out who she was with, who she's talked to, talk to her friends, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's not really about the plot as much as that's the kind of driving force of the movie. That's not what the movie's trying to talk about. It's really about Sienna Miller's character. She plays Deborah. And it is basically just a character study. You know, she's not in a good, you know, standing with her friends and her family and her finances and her life. She's struggling in almost every as- aspect of it. Uh, you know, the movie doesn't relent. You know, it's, they, you know, they say, you want to see how, you know, test your character, you push them off a cliff and man, she hits every, every bump on the way down. Uh, and somehow through it all, you know, Sienna Miller manages to make Deborah strong and vulnerable and incredibly empathetic uh, to, to the viewer. You know, it's, it's, I, I've, Sienna Miller's fine in, in general, generally speaking, and I've never, I like her enough, but I've never really gone out of my way to, to watch any of her stuff, but she really proves that she has the capacity to give great performances in this. I don't envision it gets any kind of awards traction just because of the, not even like minuscule, but like uh, invisible almost release that the film has gotten and it's it's unfortunate you know she she should she should have some recognition for how good she is i think the movie is not as good as she is uh you know i think it's just it's a long movie and it feels longer because it is such kind of a it's such a trek to to get through from one painful circumstance to the next and you have to endure a lot to get to the end of it um but the story is able to keep things afloat by by remaining true to deborah and and remaining true to sienna miller's character because that you know it keeps things grounded and it keeps things tight and and allows the viewer to remain in the movie even when it you want you kind of want to leave it because of what you know because of what happens so if you can find it it's not an easy watch but it is a good one especially sienna miller and that is my number four american woman number three our last uh looney tunes film on the list i saw this one september 3rd it is seven minutes long. It is from 1950. My summary, Yosemite Sam mistakes bugs for a prisoner. Gave it a 66. It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Frizz Freling. Starring the voice talents of Mel Blanc. And this is Big House Bunny. Uh, so this one is so simple in its conceit. Um, Sam, Yosemite Sam. Not really Yosemite in this one, but same guy, Sam is a prison guard and 
bugs is just you know just a, just a rabbit uh trying to evade hunters and he tunnels through from his rabbit hole to safety but ends up in prison where sam you know refuses to believe he's anything but a prisoner and so that's kind of where we start out and what ultimately transpires is this ridiculous back and forth between bugs escaping being caught uh being put to death surviving uh you know and then eventually turning the tables on sam and you know that whole you know if you've seen if you've seen um uh, i don't know i'm not sure what the title is duck season rabbit season where, you know, it's just Daffy and Bugs yelling back and forth at each other, duck, rabbit, duck, rabbit, duck, rabbit, and eventually one of them switches, generally Bugs, I think, until he gets the other person, Daffy, to start saying, so he, so Bugs then starts saying rabbit, and Daffy says duck, and they go back and forth, back and forth, and he gets him, and that, that, and so on and so forth. It's kind of like that, except with prisoners, being in prison, you know, you have Bugs in prison, and Sam saying, you're in prison, and Bugs is like, I'm in prison, and then finally... He's able to convince Sam that Sam's in prison. It just—it's this weird cycle that happens in in Big House Bunny, where I, I think what Freling's able to do in this one, and it's not easy because Bugs can be kind of a douchebag and a dick a lot of the times. Uh, he's very mean, especially in the earlier uh, in, uh, uh, versions of the character. But in this one, and and they eventually figured it out and ironed out those kinks, but. It's not easy to, to root for him if you're not depicting him correctly. And Freling really understands Bugs. He's able to give him this, on one hand, smarmy attitude, but also make him likable and charming and, and funny. And so even when you see him you know, kind of effectively destroying Yosemite Sam's life in this short film, you don't feel for Sam for whatever reason. You know, you don't you don't care about Sam, you care about bugs. And that that ability to to find the connection to to bugs despite, you know, his many flaws is what makes him such an endearing character. And so yeah, I like I like Big House Bunny quite a bit. Again, it's available online. Anybody can watch it. I encourage everyone who can to uh, check it out. My favorite Looney Tunes short film of September 2019. 66. We're going to take a big jump now to the number two film. Uh, so all of these movies have been in the mid to low 60s. The next one is a fair bit higher. I saw this September 19th. It is 14 minutes long. It is from 2017. My summary, workers in a shopping mall sing about their pain. I gave it a 75. It has no score in Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Nikki Lindroth von Barr, and it stars the voice talents of Sven Borklund, Carl Englund, Matthias Franzen, and Olaf Rettling. And it is called Min Borda, or The Burden. It is a make sure I know the Swedish film. Uh, with stop-motion creatures, animals, mice, cats, things like that, 
uh, who live in, they're all, they all work in a shopping center. And they kind of just sing about the end of the day and the burden that they carry working these nine to fives or, you know, even worse, uh, spending so much time in these dead end jobs. And, you know, it's about, you know, two and a half segments, you know, following these mice who work at a cafeteria or these cats who work in a telemarketer's office and so on and so forth. And I saw it on the Criterion channel and it's, it's just so funny. It is, it is incredibly funny and incredibly lively and yet darkly tragic. You know, it, it's filled and surrounded by this vast emptiness that is sort of the life of the dead-end job worker. And to maybe be able to convey that so convincingly in a stop-motion, uh, you know, animal humanoid short film from Sweden is really impressive in and of itself. And, you know, the songs are really fun. I think the song, you know, I, they're all in Swedish, so you have to read through the subtitles. But it's just, it's so lively. And, you know, the animation is beautiful. It It's really shocking to me that this, I don't know if this made a short list or anything, but I'm really surprised this wasn't a consideration for best animated short film. You know, it won. It's won plenty of festivals during its run, but I'm I'm surprised. I think it would have been a huge contender at the Oscars, and it just I never even heard of it until now. So the burden. If you have the Criterion Channel, I encourage you to check it out. I don't know if it's available anywhere else. Um, Supposedly, you can find it other places. You can rent it, maybe. Uh, but, you know, it says this says it's on Hulu, says it's on Amazon Prime Video, Vudu, YouTube, Google Play, etc. So, highly recommend it. It's really short. Like I said, 14, 14 minutes. And uh, it's it's very darkly funny. And I very much enjoyed it that is number two the burden or mean borda i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right it has the umlaut over the o which brings us to number one and this is a film i've already talked about on the show i saw it september 1st 2019 so it led from wire to wire uh the whole month it is 132 minutes long it is a 2018 film my summary, a young Irish convict chases a British officer who killed her husband. I gave this a 78. as an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes last I looked. It is directed by Jennifer Kent. It stars uh, Aisling Francois... Oh, man. Uh, stars Sam Claflin, Damon Harriman, Ewan Leslie, Harry Greenwood, Bekali Ganambar, Magnolia Maymuru, and is led by Claire, played by Aisling Franciosi. And this is The Nightingale. I've talked about The Nightingale uh, already at length in a review episode. I, you know, point you to that if you want to hear more detailed thoughts on it. 
But suffice to say, uh, this is kind of the, I don't know, I, I really like Jennifer Kent and her films. I've only, I mean, it's only the second one I've seen, but I like The Babadook quite a bit. I like The Nightingale quite a bit. And it is led by Franciosi's incredible performance as Claire. Uh, you know, it's it takes place in the Tasmanian wilderness. Uh, Claflin is just the meanest son of a bitch. You know, one of the worst people you've ever seen on film uh, for the many, many horrific things that he does. And while the film starts out basically being a revenge movie, uh, it's kind of not at the end. It kind of has a, a bigger message it's trying to send. And Kent kind of sneaks that in and, and tries to, I don't know, it sneaks up on you what what is really going on. And for a long film, that can be kind of a drag. I get it. Uh, it works for me. It really did. I think this is a movie that does feel faster than it is simply because there's no little tiny moments to observe. It is very much, you know, all right, we are, you know, it's not, we're going to plan how we're going to do something. We're going to be, we're going to see the plan. We're going to see getting to the place. We're going to see them setting up to do the thing. No, 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 no. We skip all that. And it's like, okay, we're going to go here. And then the next scene is them there. You know, we skips a lot of these little interludes that movies almost have to kind of give us. And I think Kent understands this could have been like a three-hour movie. And to her credit, it's only a little over two hours. And it feels about two hours. You know, it doesn't feel short, but it certainly covers a lot of ground in it's it's running time like i said i did a review episode on already i encourage you to check that out i really enjoyed the nightingale my favorite new film of september and one i wish qualified for 2019 i'm pretty sure aisling would have a spot in my current list of lead performances but it's uh it's 2018 for me 2018 so, my number one, The Nightingale, with 78. Run down those top 10 one more time for your sake. Uh, 10, to, 10 to 1, The Queen of Trees, Kit for Cat, Bumping into Broadway, Hustlers, Awful Orphan, Boobs in the Woods, American Woman, Big House Bunny, The Burden, and The Nightingale. That's my top 10 new films for September. Thank you for listening. It does mean a lot. Um... As always, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Circle of Film, or on Twitter, at Circle of Film, Letterboxd, at Circle of Film, or you can email circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, most places where podcasts can be found, or you can head over to the website, circleoffilm.com, for all the episodes and other stuff, top 10 lists, um, statistics, and things like that. And finally, if you'd like to support the show, uh, first and foremost, just listen. Uh, but beyond that, you can like it, rate it, review it, subscribe to it, uh, tell someone about it. Or if you are so inclined, you can head over to patreon.com slash circle of film and become a patron for as little as eight cents an episode, which would give you early access to all the episodes released early. Thank you. And as always, 
Have a week. So long, farewell. I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell. I'll be the same again. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.